this is episode 16 of Sticky Big. In today's episode, I chatted with Charles Couton from Where to Research. Where to is Australia's most effective research-based consultancy, using award-winning consumer and citizen insights to provide clear strategic direction for their clients. Charles shared the journey of Where to along with some interesting insights into how to run and grow a consulting business. If you're interested in service-based businesses, you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome to Sticky Beak, Charles. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Great to be here. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Um, we we're just chatting about the fact that you're in Melbourne in lockdown, like we are. Yes. It's, yeah, it's been a tough. Uh, it's been a tough year, hasn't it, for yeah. a lot of people? Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's really is getting to getting to a lot of people out there. I think it's been a fascinating time to be in research and um, understanding how the population's adapting and adjusting over time. Um, and, and particularly uh, interesting as a small business owner, seeing how, uh, how we've had to adapt and adjust the way we do things um, over, over the last six months or so. Yeah, Certainly sure. one of those, yeah. Has it posed many challenges for you guys from a logistics perspective or are you in front of the computer most of the day? So it hasn't, yeah i guess uh well well being at home and having young kids um you know makes it makes it tough when when they're all at home from lockdown and uh child care uh it's uh it makes it pretty tricky to to you know stay focused i guess is, is one of the big things um and uh you know between you know arranged between my wife and i um how to sort of manage the child care uh the, the, the i think the excessive screen time is just um it's really sort of started to get to people as well. Uh, you know, you find yourself sitting in front of a computer screen for 12 hours a day and you don't get to get up and have those face-to-face interactions. It's, uh, uh, I think it's quite tiring, quite exhausting, actually. Um, yeah. And it's a not, funny not, not, not really natural for humans. So. No, no. But it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you can sit there for so long in front of the screen and you can feel that your eyes and your whole body doesn't want to be in front of it anymore. But then as soon as you take it away, you feel the urge to bring it back again. It's, yeah, you get dragged back by your notifications and your exactly. uh, deliverables that you've got to get out. Yeah, yeah. So, it's seriously like no. an addictive drug. Mm. Well, we like to get a bit of background um, on our interviewees, Charles. So let's get started with uh, where did you grow up? Uh, I'm, I'm a Melbourne Melbourne boy. Yeah, grew up in yep. Melbourne. Um, lived here my whole life. Um, so yes, very familiar with the area. <laughs> I guess. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, so I haven't fallen far from the tree, really. Um, doing yeah, living in Melbourne, still living in Melbourne. Love the city. I think it's one of the best cities in the world. I have travelled around and and checked out the the global competition. I think um, Melbourne's where I'd, where I'd want to live. I think it's one of the one of the best cities to be. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's not too bad, and I think we got knocked off. We got knocked off for best city in the world or most livable. Was it by Vienna? I think. Yeah, I think so. Last year, last year, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It's a, it, it's a, it's one of those tricky stats though. Like that that thing gets bandied about, but it's it's a study by the Economist, and it it's actually not really about what most people would talk think about when they think about livability. When you dig into the the actual numbers, it's about um, uh, you know, essentially for global execs and uh, and placing people in in um, in cities and thinking about what you have to pay them to live there. Uh, but I think you know, in terms of the the 
the environment, the culture, um, the, the range of things to do, the, just the diversity I think you've got in Melbourne is just incredible you know, on yeah. a global scale. So, Absolutely. What did your education look like, Charles? Uh, so I, um, I, was at, I went to Melbourne Uni. I did a, a, a Bachelor of Commerce, Bachelor of Science there um, back when you could do a double degree. Um, and it was just really broad, actually, really, really broad. I did, didn't really, um, I kind of did a double major in the science side, um, biotechnology and history and philosophy of science. And um, I found that the, the latter of that, the history and philosophy of science, really, that, that's been probably the most valuable thing uh, I studied. Um, on the commerce side, I did a really, again, a really broad uh, degree, covered um, uh, finance, econometrics, marketing, um, and uh, and from there I went into into advertising early on. And um, and while I was doing that, I, I did a master's in stats. So I was mostly looking at sort of advertising effectiveness and um, strategy development in those in, in those days. And it's just it's a fascinating and fun role working in advertising when you're when you're young. Um, it's fast moving. It's it's interesting. Um, you're coming up with new ideas and you're seeing them through to implementation really quickly. And it's quite, it's quite a um, a fun thing to do. But from there um, uh, I moved into research uh, and uh, what I love about research is that ability to kind of go a bit deeper, you know, advertising tends to be pretty shallow. It's about how do we get people to buy more stuff, you know, and and often, you know, if, 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 if you're advertising, um, people you need to advertise because you know pe- people don't want to buy it <laughs> necessarily so you know it's, it's about convincing people to buy stuff they don't really need um, whereas research is a lot broader we do research and evaluation um, at where too we really focus on on government and social um, research uh, which is just fascinating uh, we look at the big social problems um, that are facing the nation uh, from you know for a range of different organizations a um, lot of federal government departments, um, big organisations like Beyond Blue, um, and uh, spend a lot of time just digging into what makes people tick, uh, how we can uh, you know, help them get through uh, the challenges and issues that they face in life and, and make the world a better place. Yeah, cool. So was the move from advertising to research kind of a um, like scratching an itch to get into something more meaningful and not paying mm. out on people in advertising. I mean, I'm in that industry a bit myself. So, um, yeah, yeah. was it was it was that sort of what inspired the move, though? Or, yeah, look, I guess um, the in advertising um, had a few opportunities to do some really great social marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, one called Championship Moves, which we did for the Department of Justice and Regulation, um, which really sort of changed my view about what I what I wanted to do. It was it was around um, behaviour change for young adult males, looking at um, really that kind of alcohol-fueled violence. You might remember back in oh, 2008, 2009, there was sort of a, um, a spate of these kind of, you know, late-night attacks in the, in, in the city of Melbourne. And, um, and uh, it was just a fascinating problem to look at. And we designed this campaign in, in called Championship Moves, and it was, uh, it was a really rewarding ca- campaign to, to work on, and it got a, a lot of traction out there. Um, a lot of people kind of latched onto it and started, you know, generating their own championship moves and taking up, taking up the cause, which was just a really um, fascinating thing to to be involved with. And so that that really triggered my interest much more in doing more on the social research side. I saw how uh, the research in that instance really fed through into um, into a really great creative idea, a great creative concept, um, and that how it could make a difference. Um, and so that yeah that 
certainly um, certainly changed my uh, my perspective. I think on on what I wanted to do uh, and and where I wanted to spend my time. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, it sounds like you started working for a, a research agency or something like that. Um, hmm. When did the idea for um, where to come about? So uh, we were uh, so my partners and I and where to. Uh, we've got a fabulous uh, team um, with uh, Catherine Burkell and uh, uh, Fiona Hughes and um, Vicky Arbez. <clears throat> um, uh, we were all working together at a previous agency, and uh, and there was an opportunity really to go come start our own thing. Um, and so we we took that opportunity, and it's been it's been a great journey. Um, it's been about five years since we started. A bit of yeah, five and a half years now. Um, and it's just been um, it's been great. We've been um, growing since day one. Um, never really a bad day. Lots of challenges. You know, it's a very hard thing to start your own business and to get that momentum running. Um, but you know, the first the first three years I think were particularly particularly difficult um, and particularly challenging. You know, lots of hard work. Um, and it's sort of uh, once you get a good team in place and you, you bring the, you bring them up to speed, uh, they can take more and more of the um, the burden from you, I guess. Yeah, so, it's, it's in a good place right now. Mm. For people who aren't familiar with your business, can you give us your mm. elevator pitch? Sure. We're a, a, a research agency focused really on uh, big social problems, um, covering vulnerable people with a special specialty in vulnerable audiences. So people with disability, people from culturally linguistically diverse backgrounds, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, people facing you know, all sorts of um, personal issues uh, and understanding how we can um, design better systems, uh, better communications to make, make life better for them really. Yep, yeah, gotcha. So you mentioned that you started the business with some um, colleagues that you were working with at another agency. Um, yep. When you came up with the idea to do your own thing, um, how much gap was there between coming up with the idea and actually starting out? How, how, how much time was there? Yeah. Yeah. Not very long. No, it was um, a few weeks. <laughs> so no, it was very quick from, uh, from having the idea to quitting, quitting the jobs and, uh, and starting where to. So um, yeah. No, so you went pretty in, confident. you all went in full time then. Um, it wasn't like a side gig for a while. You just um, burned your bridges and went straight into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Burning I, I bridges like maybe a strong term. I'm sure you left on yeah. good terms. With you're working with. <laughs> Probably not the term I would have used, but yeah, yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, we, are, we were setting up a competitive agency. So in some, in some sense that there, there, there is some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, can you remember what amount of capital you needed to get started with the business? Um, we had a loan from one of the founders for, uh, it was a couple of hundred grand, um, yeah. but it was, it was more than enough for us to get started and yeah. um, cover the salaries that we brought a, a couple of people across with us. Yeah, cool. um, it was more than enough to get to get us started and get us up and running. We're, we're, we've been profitable since day one, um, yeah. which was uh, unusual, I think, in in startup land. Um, but pretty much from the end of the first month, we've been we've been profitable. So um, the capital was was a nice safety net, um, though, and and certainly allowed us to allowed us to take that leap. Yeah, um, that we wouldn't have been able to take otherwise. Yeah. Did you have any overheads apart at the start apart from your own salaries? Like, did you get an office to start with, or how did? Yes. Yeah. We, yeah, we took an office to start with, and um, 
uh, we we had some staff on board to help us, uh, you know, with that initial initial phase. There's a lot of there's a lot to set up, um, a lot to, a lot of kind of systems and processes to get to get bedded in uh, in the early stages. And so there's a lot of that background work that needs to get done to to make sure that your agency's on a good footing and um, and ready for growth. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. yeah. A lot of people probably working for agencies or other businesses at the moment and thinking about doing their own thing. What was it that triggered you guys to think, all right, it's time, we, we can do this, we can make, what inspired it and what made you feel like it was the right time to do it? Well, uh, the opportunity presented itself. So, um, you know, it became the right time because the opportunity was there to do it. Uh, you know, there are, as, I, as I mentioned, I've got these fabulous partners uh, and they all, we all came together at that time and decided to do it together. Um, so really that was, that was it. Um, yeah. If you've got a great team, if you've got a great set of people you can rely on that have that diverse skill set, uh, and we all do bring something very different to the agency. Um, it meant that all, all the bases are covered and we could actually do fantastic quality work, um, you know, without um, needing to rely on uh, other people external to the agency. So, um, yeah, it really, it really was just a, a product of the, oppor- the opportunity that we had at the time and, uh, and, the, and the team that came together. Yeah. And it sounds like you had some projects or um, contracts that you could launch straight into when you started as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was really handy. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just helped, but, you know, I, I think any kind of agency business, it's really about momentum. Um, you know, once you get a bit of momentum going, uh, it's much easier to win new business and to keep the business growing. Uh, the, the struggle, I think, is when you have those periods when it's, uh, when momentum slows down, it's hard to get started up again. So, yeah, we, we were sort of lucky in that we were able to, to start with a, with a good degree of momentum and, um, and keep the ball rolling pretty quickly from there on. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you guys had to let go of any staff members over the journey? Of course, yeah. Um, I think that's um, a natural, a natural part. I mean, um, small agencies really rely on very high quality staff. Uh, you can't afford to have um, people who uh, are not really at the top of the game. And um, you know, usually it's been about um, the hiring decision. I think we've had, you know, um, we've we've struggled over the years. I guess. Um, uh, with uh, finding really great quality people, it, it, it is it, you know, not everyone can do fantastic research, um, and with yeah, I guess it, it, it's just one of those natural things in business. You've got to, and especially a small business, you can't afford to, um, you know, can't, can't afford to carry people that really aren't at the top of the game. They have to be the best of the best. Um, that doesn't mean we don't bring on grads, and I think that that's been a really um, important part of the business too. Uh, and we put a lot of time into learning and, you know, growing and developing their talents. Uh, and we see that as because they're one of the more effective long-term um, you know, growth plans for, for, uh, for our business. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, cause, yeah, because then you, you can ensure that they're, they're trained well. Uh, you can ensure that they know all, they have all the, the knowledge they need, all the skills that they need to, to deliver great work. Um, when you bring in people from other agencies, they often do things differently. They might have... Um, habits that don't suit, suit the way you do things. I mean, we are quite specialised um, in that we do, you know, very rigorous um, you know, academic kind of informed work. Uh, and it just doesn't, it doesn't suit everyone. We're not, you know, it, there's, we, we, you need to be a good fit for, for the work that we do. Um, it's quite an intense pace as well. 
you know, we're often working on several projects at a time um, and you've got to be able to juggle and balance that workload. Um, and it's, it's certainly not an easy job. You know, you're across many different fields at any one time and, it, it, you know, the diversity of the work we do is, um, is, is quite incredible. Um, you know, we work from, um, from employment to uh, health to um, mental health um, and then we also do commercial work as well. So, you know, we can be talking about um, vehicles one day and shopping centres another day. And um, so it is, it, you know, there is quite a lot of diversity. And that, I th for me, that's one of the great, great things about the role is that every project's different in, its, uh, in what it requires from you and the skills it requires and the knowledge it requires. Uh, and you're always learning something new, um, which is just a, a fascinating thing to do every day. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Have you guys had any uh, near-death moments or really tough points in the business? Not from a no, not from a not really, not from an economic point of view or a financial point of view. I think um, obviously the impact of COVID's been um, probably the the closest you'd come to describing as a near-death experience. Um, at the same time, you know we all transitioned to work from home reasonably smoothly. Um, uh, I think you know. Uh, from my, from my perspective, it's, uh, it's been, there's been two key issues, I think, with working from home. One is the sort of the parental responsibilities and staff that have um, kids at home and um, or homeschooling. It becomes very, very difficult um, to, for them to, to fit in work around life. And um, we've just been extremely, we've, we've tried to do all we can to support them. Yeah. Um, uh, Whatever, whatever, whatever we've been able to um, offer people, we've been we've, we've been very willing to do that. Uh, the other difficulty, I think, is with the the more junior staff, um, the graduate level. They rely so much on that kind of um, absorption from the day to day work. Uh, we say that sort of 80, 90 percent of your training comes from just day to day work, uh, and if you're not sort of in the same room as people, you can't um, absorb in the same way. It's very difficult if someone's sort of working away on something to call them up on Teams or, or Zoom and sort of have that conversation in the same way that you might have in the office. It, it's not as, uh, not as sort of casual and informal, um, but also just nowhere near as frequent. You don't, because, you know, in the office, I might've wandered around and checked in on people every couple of hours at, at, at most. Um, but you find in this sort of uh, distributed environment, it's much, much, much tricky to, to make that happen well. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys use Slack at all? Uh, we, don't use, uh, we don't use Slack it, uh, at Where2. I do use it on the other business I'm working on. Yeah. Um, we, use, we use Teams at Where2, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting to contrast the two. I think um, there, are, there are good things on, on both and there are um, things that are better on the other. So. yeah 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 for me slack's kind of like the um the equivalent i guess to what you're talking about of walking around the office and being able to tap on the shoulder and that sort of thing and it's good and bad yeah <laughs> um, yeah. yeah it's hard to match that in-person um communication there's no i don't think yeah i don't think there's any real match for it i don't think there's anything any online tool that can really match up with that oh you know what are you doing what are you working on oh show me that that looks great or, yeah. or oh, actually, I actually thought about this and you, you just don't have that kind of same level of interaction you know, yeah they've got to show you their screen it's not it's not like you can you can just stand there and see what they're yeah. see what they're doing um and, and so, yeah sorry you finish 
No, think, please go on. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I was just going to say the timing of those conversations as well, because you can't like when you're in the office, you can see if someone's really busy and they're it's not a good time to approach them or they need to be left alone. Whereas Slack, it's just better. Yeah. Yeah. And like I find with Slack that, you know, you can get a whole bunch of notifications coming through, you know, and from all different things and it can be quite sort of scattered if you're uh, if you're talking yeah. to a few people about a few different things um whereas you know i think in the office you can see what they're working on and you're, you're necessarily focused on that so yeah yeah for sure yeah. what are the future plans for where to so uh yes uh we look obviously growth is a is a future plan i mean i think um uh we've been talking about it um, for a little while, but I think there's there's opportunities for us to to you know, grow interstate, um, do bigger things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think um, I'd probably yeah probably can't talk about it too much. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you deal mainly with uh, local clients, or do you already deal with a lot of interstate or international? Yeah, look, a lot of our work comes from Canberra. Um, yeah. So that's uh, a major part. Um, we do have a few clients um, in um, New South Wales as well. Yeah. Most, most of the work comes from Victoria though, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Who's had the biggest influence on your career and success, would you say? Uh, do you have any particular mentors or special people in your life that have had Well, that? I think, uh, you know, from a business point of view, um, uh, my business partner uh, and uh, She's a shareholder in, in Where To, Vicky Arbez. Is a, she's a, a true sort of doyen of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the, she's the um, current president of the Research Society um, and ha- has done this before. You know, she set up a business in, in 1992, I think, and, um, and grew it in really, into really one of the sort of preeminent agencies in, a, in Australia before she sold out to an international company. Uh, and so, yes, so she's, she's been invaluable, uh, her, her life lessons and her, her skill in, in research um, is just incredible um, and it's been great to learn from her. But also, you know, my business partners, Catherine and Fiona, have been really fantastic to learn from as well. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that those, uh, they're some of the best people I've worked with in the business um, and uh, I, I, I couldn't feel luckier to have them on my team, to be honest, yeah. yeah. Um, from that partner's perspective, uh, what do you think are the most important aspects of having a good working relationship with partners? Like a lot of people start mm-hmm. businesses with one partner. Um, it's yep. not as common to have multiple partners right from the get-go. Um, mm. how do you th- what do you think made it successful for you guys? Well, I think uh, um, the, the, the most fundamental thing is just a... A mutual respect and admiration for the the different skills that everyone brings to the table. Um, you, you can't do it all yourself. Uh, everyone has their own um, incredibly valuable things to bring to the table, and um, just being making sure that everyone in the partnership recognises that um, is, uh, I think, one of the most fundamental things. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, especially in a in a business that that covers as much diversity as we do. You know that. We, we cover this huge range of, uh, of um, subjects and projects. Um, being able to sort of tap people on the shoulder, um, have those conversations, and being able to um, debate really—I think that that that's the key thing. To, you know, debate, discuss uh, very openly, and challenge each other's ideas is um, just incredibly valuable. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm.
This episode of Sticky Beak is brought to you by Digital Deluxe. If you're sick of digital agencies that overpromise and underdeliver, you need to speak to Digital Deluxe. We can't guarantee miracles, but we can guarantee great service and a logical ROI-focused approach. Visit www.digitaldeluxe.com.au forward slash stickybeak to access our special offer for Sticky Beak listeners. Does it ever get heated in your debates or you, you seem like a pretty level-headed guy? Uh, yeah. It's- Look, it can, um, it, you know, but it, in an intellectual way, it's not, it's never sort of, um, it's not, not about emotion or, or who's right or who's wrong necessarily. It's about getting to the best answer. Yeah. Uh, and we all, we all come to it with that. Uh, and, you know, when we say, that, you know, there's a, a debate, um, it very often is, doesn't end up like we go down uh, 100% the route of one of the person that one person brought to the table it's very often that the 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 final answer is is a combination of what everyone's brought to the the discussion yeah cool um, yeah so sort of take that meritocracy approach um absolutely yeah it has to be i mean you can't get to great quality work without challenging your own ideas and without having them challenged by other other perspectives that's really what research is about you know it's actually about going out there and challenging your own perspectives with with uh, the views of the audiences, the populations that you're trying to um, engage. Uh, and so, you know, um, being able to bring that internally as well, I think is, is really important for us. Yeah. Have there been any research projects where you've been blown away by the results or shocked or like gone in with a certain expectation and then just been yeah. completely surprised by Look, what came out? Actually, do you know, I think, um, it's really dangerous for, for anyone to make assumptions about what um, about what what they what, what what is out there. I think every single project we've done has a surprise in it. Um, you know, every single project we we'll, I, I I think I think to myself before we go out there and talk to people, before we survey people, before we engage um, stakeholders. This is my this is what I think how 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 it's going to come back. Um, and I'd say, you know. I'm not often right. <laughs> so even with a, you know, a, a, a true wealth of experience across thousands of studies and um, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of engagements with people, you still get surprised because every, every topic's unique um, and you don't know what people are necessarily bringing to that, um, the baggage, the, uh, the background that they're bringing into that particular question. Uh, and it's always always skewed by your own biases, and um, being aware of uh, being aware of it or becoming aware of your own biases through a project is is uh, one of the most fascinating things about about research. Uh, and every 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 project we do, we learn something new. So yeah, I, I can't say you know there's been one particular project that's that's completely uh, surprised me, but but every, in a way, every project has uh, has thrown up surprises. Yeah. Uh, so I can't say that one has particularly, you know, particularly thrown me away, blown yeah. me away more than anything else. Yeah. Sure. What was one of the projects that you found the most interesting to work on? Okay. So uh, look, there's a huge range here. I could, I could just rattle off a huge list. Um, we worked on a project um, in combination with um, Melbourne Uni for Beyond Blue on suicide prevention uh, in, in 2016. That was really fascinating. Um, we're currently working on a, another evaluation of Beyond Blue's COVID mental wellbeing support service, and, and that's really, uh, really fascinating how that came about, um, the speed through which it was developed and the, the organisational change that they've been through. Um, I think uh, projects that we've done 
um, I've done projects in uh, in water safety and that you just hear these amazing stories about the risks that people take around water. Uh, so what blokes are doing on, on boats and uh, in rivers and, and lakes, it's uh, <laughs> uh, always worth a laugh. Um, then, uh, yes, uh, I guess there's uh, the projects we did in um, uh, disability employment, just sort of understanding, you know, um, the range of different ways that people with disability can find really great roles uh, and the adaptations that employers can make to, to get people working. You know, we spoke with employers that had deaf people working in their call centres, uh, you know, and they, they just took the attitude that, um, you know, that we will we'll provide whatever adaptations this person needs to get the job done. Um, because we understand that actually someone who comes into the, the work with the right attitude uh, is is much easier to manage and uh, will get much better results for our business, even if yeah. it requires a few thousand dollars in, in adaptations yeah. and in the long long term will save money. And that, I just found that an, an incredible insight and, um, and, and something that was very, very rare when we went out there and spoke to people, um, you know, especially small businesses are, are mm. extremely wary of employing people with disability. Mm. And actually it's just really Disability is just different ability, uh, and um, people often bring incredible, um, novel uh, ways of doing things. You know, we spoke to another um, another employer who, who specifically employed people with anxiety in their in their business because uh, they found that they were much better um, at uh, getting things accurate in their in their packing warehouse, and yeah. that they, they they made no mistakes. Uh, and and yes, they had to make some adaptations for that person. Um, but in the end, they found it was it was they were much better off, you know, yeah. providing those adaptations um, to to get those results. That's um, really interesting. And I guess when you think about it from the inverse perspective, uh, if you don't have any disabilities, but you think about what you do in your role, there's so many things that you're not using or don't need really. Like I'm sitting in a desk right. at the moment, so I could be in a wheelchair. Yeah. It doesn't really make a difference to how I perform. Exactly right. Um, yeah. And then I guess on the, the positive side, um, usually people who have been through a lot of adversity or overcome adversity are stronger mentally and that kind of thing. And I guess if you've got a disability, you've probably been through that. So yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting way to think about it. Yeah, it it, it is, and it's it, it is a bit of a reframe, and it's something that um, that perhaps doesn't come naturally to business people because they're thinking, oh, we need to. And I, I said it earlier in the meeting myself, <laughs> we need the very best people. <laughs> But our picture of the very best is is often you know skewed skewed by our own experience and our own uh, biases and our own expectations and um, and we just need to take a take a broader view on that sometimes. Yeah, and I guess what you view as a disability as well, because like you mentioned before, having a good attitude uh, it makes it so much easier to work with a staff member, and right. not having a good attitude is almost a disability in itself. So it's, it's not, yeah, not it makes it, yeah. Exactly right. So yeah, this particular business found it was just, uh, it took a lot more of their management time and effort to, to manage people with a bad attitude than it did mm. to take, um, to, to make the adaptations that people with a disability, to make, you know, a, a great environment for people with disability. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, I mean, that was probably, probably one project I think that, um, yeah, did change the way I think. I think, you know, every project changes the way you think a little bit, but that one was um, yeah, very yeah. fascinating. I can imagine that kind of works very fulfilling when you come out of the end of the project and A, you're getting paid for it, so great, but B, you actually learn and develop yourself by 
look from what you've learned during that experience? Yeah, just the uh, look. I think the the great thing about research is we get to engage with you know this the diverse population of Australia and um, you know and and sit there and listen to them without judgment. It's it's a real gift um, to just to to to, to un, you know to really take the time to to understand their perspectives and how they see the world and what it means for um, the particular business or government department you're working with it's um it's it's something that i'm incredibly grateful for you know, the opportunity to expand my my own personal horizons and understanding of humanity by you know, just doing my work it's a it's a real gift yeah yeah for sure um what do you do to keep your sanity in check outside of work charles do you have any sports <laughs> hobbies what do you like to do yeah, look, you can see a keyboard behind me. So I do, oh, yeah. I do turn around and play a bit of piano here and there. I've got two kids, yeah. uh, so that takes up that takes up a lot of time. And um, it's actually my I've got a, a five year old birthday party today. So oh, right. um, yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, uh, that's another incredibly rewarding aspect of uh, my life. Yeah. Um, I I play a bit of squash and you know, do a bit of cycling and stuff like that. But uh, I'm not a huge sportsman. Yeah, um, gotcha. Yep. Um, do you engage in any kind of ongoing learning outside of what you obviously learn through your work directly, but um, formal yep. types of learning or just reading books or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I, I do read a lot. Um, I try to read um, a mix of fiction and nonfiction and try to sort of deliberately mix up a fiction book and then a nonfiction book. Um, uh, uh, because I, I actually, I mean, I love um, nonfiction and learning about what how people have kind of thinking um uh, and there's just so much great knowledge out there that can be tapped into uh i am doing a mba part-time as well um and that i think that was just uh really um, wanting to stretch myself a little bit more and um extend understanding across a few business disciplines yeah. um and uh yeah sort of always kind of always um touching in and trying to extend my knowledge on you know the statistics and machine learning and stuff like that too so that, um, that i did a master's in stats and um it's one of those things to that, that again is developing so rapidly and it's just great to keep across uh, the latest developments and quite a lot of them are actually directly useful for, for my day-to-day work which is yeah um, rewarding to be able to translate those things into into outcomes yeah, I can imagine all the um, technology that's in the pipeline with machine learning and AI and all that would be having quite a big impact on your industry. Mm, yeah, I think um, I think it will change the industry quite a lot over the next ten years or so. Yeah. Um, I think you know, particularly the, uh, I mean, I think particularly the natural language processing stuff will have a, a longer term impact, uh, and that you know, that's coming to a stage now. I think with the latest um, GPT. Um, package um that, that it's getting it's getting to quite a good level of uh, of, uh and to, to extend our analysis and to allow things like better chatbots but also to allow like better analysis of um of qualitative data um and uh, understanding ongoing trends in qualitative data you know people just putting stuff on on website forums for example um where, where we might be able to code that and look at you know, we might be able to look at hundreds of thousands of posts where, you know, previously that would have been incredibly cost prohibitive to have yeah. humans go through and code all that. Uh, so I think, yeah, that that's one really fascinating area. And then also the, you know, the, just the sort of the structured data as well and what you can do with that these days and how you can um, bring together different 
different data streams and uh, understand uh, understand how they work together and what it means for for the particular problem you're looking at. Yeah. And how have you found the MBA so far? Have you, are oh. you learning a lot? You net, is it more for networking? What? Because a lot of people yeah. are very not sure whether to actually engage with it or not. Then there's some people who love it, some people who sort of say, yeah, yeah it was okay. Yeah, I mean, I've, um, uh, I've enjoyed it. I think it's a nice challenge. And, um, yeah, it's good for networking and, and meeting new people. Uh, I'm doing another startup with someone I met there. So um, that's, you know, the side gig. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, which is um, which has been great, uh, and that's been a really good learning experience too. Um, I think you know, I did a commerce undergrad, or partly commerce undergrad, so it's it has it's it, it's it's echoed. It's 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 all familiar. It's um, nothing sort of really brand new, but at the same time, it's great to kind of go a bit bit deeper into it than you than you, than you did in the undergrad, yeah. um, and um, and explore that with a really great. Um, set of colleagues in the in the in the um, program. Yeah, cool. It's been, it? Look, it's been tricky with COVID, though. I, I, I must admit, I, I I'm not doing it this this term. I th- I, I actually felt um, it's getting enough screen time and uh, not being able to go into class to me um, took away from the value of the cl- of the of the program to some degree because you, you yeah. can't do that networking in the same way. You know, if you're yeah. sitting in a class of 80 people, you can't have those kind of casual conversations. You can't. Yeah. You can't build those relationships. Um, so yeah, I have taken last term and this term off, and I'll I'll go back in, in January. Yeah, the, as good as Zoom and Teams and all that sort of thing are, you just uh, looking at that Brady Bunch grid of faces isn't the same as being in the room with, with people, is it? Not at all. No, <laughs> no, you really. I think you really miss out. Um, yeah, and. I'm not sure whether whether there'll be maybe there will be great tech adaptations for that over the future, but there doesn't seem to be anything in place right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's thinking about starting or is in the early stages of starting a business? Look, don't underestimate getting a great team early on. Um, definitely don't try and do it all in your own, and make sure that you're you've got a good level of self awareness. Um, you know, that's something that we all struggle with, I think, you know, knowing yourself, knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. But unless you have a good read on that, you're not really going to be able to pick a great partner. Um, you need to be able to get that diversity in your team. You need to be able to get that diversity of thinking so that you can your ideas can be challenged and you can challenge other people's. Uh, because, you know, uh, uh, my theory is that no, no person's right on their own. You actually need, you know... Uh, might might seem a little self-serving coming from a researcher who focuses on, on gathering insight from a range of people, but it, we always you know, we always need to take into account what other people think because um, if you go out there and you try and do it all for yourself, you're almost inevitably going to stuff it up. You're going to get it wrong. So um, get a great team, um, get the right advisors around you, get good mentors, and um, and know where your where your gaps are. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. All right. Before we look to wrap up, Charles, uh, we have a little custom segment where we spin a wheel and you'll get asked a very random question based on that result. So I'm going to share my screen. All right. Let's get this spinning. Spin, spin, spin. Last binge. All right. So this question is, 
what's the last thing you binged on and why would you recommend it to others? So it could be a type of food, it could be a TV show, anything that you've binged on recently. Well, to be honest, the only thing I really binge on is work. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched Netflix in months. I think it's probably been at least four months since I since I binge watched anything. Um, and I didn't even binge watch. I only watched one or two episodes, I think. So I, um, I think chocolate um, has been really, really good to binge on the last uh, six months or so. That's probably, probably something I've eaten a lot more of yep. <laughs> during lockdown. Um, Any particular types? Uh, good range, actually. Uh, right. I like dark chocolate. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, I, I like a mix. Yeah. I think um, I'm pretty impartial to the dark Kit Kats. I've got to say. All right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a lot of different varieties of Kit Kat these days. So it used to only be the one pack about 15 years ago, and now you can That's get right. pretty much every flavor you want. Yeah. Well, have you been to Japan? Have you seen the Kit Kat varieties they got over there? I've been to Japan. I didn't notice the Kit Kats though. What do they got? Hundreds of different Kit Kats. Incredible. Hundreds. Yeah, every wow. can, yeah like more than you could even name. Um, yeah. yeah, it's quite incredible. But um, I, uh, I guess one other thing I just wanted to touch on was um, we, we sort of talked about it a bit earlier, but the, the you know, the COVID thing, mm. I feel like, um, I feel like there's been a, you know, there's probably been something, um, where there's been a, a desire for change in the population. Mm-hmm. People have seen a need for change, but I haven't seen a lot of really kind of brave businesses doing things very differently or taking, I, I feel like there's, and you know, um, we're all to blame probably, but mm. you know, where's the sort of sense of audacity and uh, that, this, that we can take, we can make big changes. You know, when mm. everyone's going through, through changes like this, it's actually a pretty good time to, to try different things and to try new things. And we've all had to adapt to that, but, I think there's still a lot of opportunities out there for, for doing things differently. And um, I think there's a lot of opportunities for, for new businesses right now. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think like we're all being forced to make a lot of change at the moment and mm-hmm. it, we're not probably, and I wasn't thinking about a lot till you just mentioned it, but if you step back and realize how much change we've made, it's actually mm-hmm. impressive and no yeah, one's, a lot of businesses have adapted and done better from it. A lot of new businesses have started and, you know, everyone's heard all those stories about like distilleries and stuff that used to make gin or whiskey or whatever. Exactly right. And they're doing hand sanitizer and things like yeah. that. It's um, it's pretty crazy. And it, yeah, that's a really good takeaway that um, if we can realize how much we can change when we're forced, then why not mm. use that um, in everyday life and not yeah. be afraid so much. Yeah, and you know, I think everyone's sort of everyone's desperate to get back to normal. Uh, you know, so there's this there's this huge kind of pressure and force to to get us back to a previous status quo. But my view is, we'll never get back to what we were. Um, it will never be exactly the same. And this is just you know just another kind of uh, part, you know, trip along the path of this kind of exponential growth curve that we're all on. Um, you know, the amount of tech change that's going on the amount of you know, scientific discoveries that are going to change the world over the next few years. It's, it's actually the pace of change is, is, is getting to a point where we, we, we need to continually adapt and continually do things. So yeah. I just think there's huge, huge opportunities out there right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and everyone's talking, 
everyone's talking about the economic setbacks and talking about mm. everything in setback terms. But mm. uh, one of our interviewees last week mentioned um, that we've actually pushed forward probably about five years in terms of um, digital adoption and that sort of thing. So from that perspective, I mean, it might be a temporary setback for economies, but some of the efficiencies and that sort of thing that are being generated are probably going to be positive. It might take a little while for us to realise it, but yeah. Yeah, I think there's a huge number of opportunities here. I mean, no one's going to go back to working full-time in the office five days a week. Um, You know, I think that, you know, your average white-collar worker will be working at home two days a week from now on. Um, You know, that might have been unthinkable even a few years ago. So that... That that um, our view is that you know that, that COVID's really accelerated a lot of existing changes, um, uh, brought them forward. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of it's not just the, the working from home. It's not just the online purchasing. It's not just that we're going to spend more time with with family because we don't have to commute. It's kind of this. There's, there's that, and there's hundreds more more changes that it's that it's accelerated. Yeah. Uh, when you sort of even scratch slightly below the surface. So, yeah. Hmm. And a fascinating time to be living for sure and you're in a unique position to observe it i guess um yeah for i guess the budding entrepreneurs out there are there any particular gaps in the market or areas where you see specific opportunity well i think look i think the um the thing we've observed is that you know that everyone's in a more vulnerable place i think post-covid you know it's shaken a lot of people up the mental health impacts, especially across, you know, Victoria and New South Wales have been enormous. Um, you know, we're seeing something like 70, 80% of the um, population saying that their mental health has been impacted. Mm. Um, but it's also impacted, you know, in a, in a variety of other ways. Um, you know, the, the, obviously the hospitality and tourism industries are going to need to rapidly adapt to um, changing circumstances chances are you know that the business models have have changed while they've been closed um, and that things will need to adapt going forward um, in terms of uh, budding entrepreneurs I think there's you know there's there's huge opportunities everywhere in Australia at the moment um, I think you know areas like the the disability sector are one and um, talked about that a bit earlier there's um, a lot of opportunities there to do things better um, and the government's supporting a lot of that too um, I think, you know, the government's also really behind, um, you know, defence industries. And I think that's a huge opportunity for um, budding entrepreneurs in, in Australia. And we've seen, you know, some really great companies do very well over the last few months um, and few years in Australia. Um, so, yeah, I think between sort of mental health, disability and um, things like defence, uh, advanced manufacturing, there's some really fantastic opportunities. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for the insights, Charles. And thanks again for joining us today. If anyone would like to find yourself or where to, where should they go online? Well, sure, our website, whereto-research.com.au um, and you can find contact details there or reach out via LinkedIn and um, start a conversation. Awesome. Thanks again and uh, all the best with the fifth birthday party today. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> thanks very much. Awesome. Nice to see you, Daniel. Nice to thanks, see you. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Sticky Beak. If you've got any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics you'd like us to cover, just send it through to info at stickybeak.com.au.